listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of Mark 7, verses 24 through 30. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape being noticed. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Cephanasian. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying in a bed, and the demon gone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be to God. And thank you, Sandy, for that reading. <clears throat> so um, I just want to reiterate Hearing-wise, if this gets tough, feel free to move forward or just yell, hey, Dan, talk louder. I'm going to try, try to keep the volume up. Uh, for anyone who's maybe joining the live stream a little late or maybe you're listening to the recording online, if it sounds like I'm yelling, we're having technical issues today. There's no sound coming to our speakers, but it is going to the stream. So hopefully you all can hear me out there in Internet land. Uh, before we dive in today and get started um, talking about this uh, very problematic passage, uh, I want to tell you about a class we've got coming up on April 10th, Palm Sunday, just a few weeks away. Um, it'll be right after worship from 11.15 to 1. It's called Brockport Baptist Basics 3. Um, if you are a regular here, if you've been around for a while, you've heard me talk ad nauseum uh, about the basics classes. Um, basics 1 uh, is the class that we offer twice a year, usually in the spring and the fall, uh, talking about baptism and communion. It's a good class for folks who are new and want to learn more about our church. Um, and then Basics 2 is our second class. We usually do this, uh, usually do this one once a year in the fall. Um, this is our class exploring various spiritual disciplines, stuff like prayer, Bible study, worship, that kind of thing. That's Basics 2. And coming up on April 10th, for the very first time, I'm so excited, is Brockport Baptist Basics 3. And don't worry, there's no plan for a 4. This is it. Um, <laughs> this class has been at least a year in the making. Um, we actually had plans for this pre-COVID, but had to put them on hold for obvious reasons. Uh, we're going to be talking about service, how to use your gifts and passions here at church. Um, and we're also going to be talking about evangelism which is a terrifying topic, uh, what it looks like to share your faith. How can we respectfully, without being a jerk about it, um, share the hope that we found in Jesus with others? Um, how do you invite a friend to church without things getting awkward? That's the sort of thing that we're going to be talking about at Basics 3. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have pizza. 
Um, child care will be provided. Um, you don't have to take these in order, so if you didn't take basics one or two yet, that is fine. Uh, anyone can come to basics three. Uh, you don't have to be a church member or anything. We'd love to have you. Um, if you want to join us, there's a sign-up sheet at the Connection Center, or you can just write basics three on your yellow card with like your email address and name, and we'll get you connected. Uh, again, that is on Palm Sunday, April 10th. <clears throat> Uh, we're continuing with the Gospel of Mark today, and we are skipping some stuff, though. Last week, if you were here, uh, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000, which is uh, this miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 people with just um, a couple fish and five loaves of bread. That's in the middle of Mark chapter 6. Today, we're jumping all the way to Mark chapter 7, but we've already covered the stuff that we skipped. Uh, we skipped a story where Jesus walks on water. We covered that one a few weeks ago out of order so that we wouldn't have to talk about the beheading of John the Baptist on Family Sunday with kids in the service. You're welcome, parents. Um, so so we, covered, we covered that one. Um, we also did, um, let's see, the first part of chapter 7. We covered that back in January when we did our, our, our uh, series on stewardship. And that brings us to a story in Mark that, to be honest, I would rather skip. The story of the Syrophoenician woman, or um, Jesus and the dogs, as we're calling it today. Uh, this is a passage that I would bet a lot of us aren't that familiar with. Um, it's one that I've never heard a sermon on, personally. Um, it's short enough that even if you read through the Gospels, this is super easy to miss. And it's a story that most Christians probably aren't going to want to talk about, because Jesus looks pretty awful in this one. Um... I want to reread it, you know, just to make sure it's nice and fresh, <clears throat> make sure we catch what's going on here. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. Just to recap, this woman comes to Jesus desperate, hoping that he will heal her daughter. Her little girl, as she's called, is being tormented by some kind of spiritual sickness. The text tells us it's a demon. And Jesus dismisses her. He turns her away, saying that he's come for the children of Israel. Uh, the exact quote is, let the children be fed first. It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. Jesus is calling this woman a dog. And I've read the Greek on this one. He's calling her a female dog. Originally, I thought about titling this sermon, Jesus and the Female Dog, just to highlight how terrible this is. Um, but I ran that idea by my wife, and Aaron was like, you can't call it that. So, um, 
But then, of course, then I was like, you know what? She doesn't, she doesn't read Greek. She doesn't know. So I went and I ran the idea by Pastor Alicia. And she was like, you can't call it that. <laughs> so um, we went with Jesus and the dogs. But I want to make sure we're catching how messed up this story is. It is not okay to call someone dog, let alone to call a woman and her daughter female dogs. There's no situation in which that's cool. This isn't cool in our culture, and we love dogs, right? Like, dog, dogs are man's best friend. We keep them as pets. We carry them as accessories in our purses. <laughs> but, but even so, it is not okay to call a woman or anyone a dog. Jesus is in a culture where they don't even like dogs. No one in first century Judea is keeping a dog as a pet. Dogs are filthy, unclean animals. They're pests. They're unwanted, unwelcome. They carry disease. They're violent. They attack. Take all the connotations we already have in our culture about calling someone a dog and combine all of that with any slang you've ever heard for someone who is dirty, not welcome, unwanted, that is what's being conveyed in this passage, and it's being conveyed by Jesus. That's a problem, at least for me. <laughs> I hope that's a problem for everyone. I thought Jesus was all about love and inclusion. I thought the message of Jesus was God loves everyone, no exceptions. We've already seen in the Gospel of Mark how Jesus is expanding the boundaries. He's uh, bringing in the outsiders. He's tearing down the walls that divide us and them. Maybe he just had a bad day. Maybe he got up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe he wasn't himself. The text tells us he was trying to get some alone time. He was trying to get some privacy. Um, we missed this because of what we skipped, but this has been a bit of a theme uh, in this section of Mark's gospel. Jesus is always trying to get away, be alone, have some time to himself, and the crowds keep following him. We uh, saw this last week with the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus tries to take the disciples on a little retreat. They go into the desert, only to be followed by 5,000 hungry people looking for food. In uh, some of the stuff we skipped, Jesus keeps trying to get away. Uh, he goes up on a mountain to be alone and pray, but then he sees the disciples uh, struggling in a boat, so he has to go bail them out. This constant demand on Jesus' time and attention, he heads north into the region of Tyre. He gets to this house where he finally has some privacy, and then this lady's at the door like, heal my kid, heal my kid. Maybe that's what's going on? But even that isn't all that satisfying, right? Like that doesn't explain why Jesus is so rude, so offensive to this woman. But the answer is right there in the text, um, and it's not super helpful. It doesn't make it uh, feel any better. I'm going to read the first part of this passage again. See if you catch it. See if you catch the line where Mark kind of clues us in to what's wrong here. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him, and she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. There it is. That 
is the line that's telling us what's going on here. This little aside Mark gives us tells us exactly why Jesus is so short with this woman, and it doesn't make things any better. She's from the wrong place. The woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She's a Gentile, so not Jewish. She's the wrong religion, right? Um, she's Syrophoenician. She's from the region basically uh, where like modern day Syria meets Lebanon. That's kind of the region this woman comes from. All that stuff we've seen in Mark so far, uh, where Jesus is going around tearing down boundaries, including outsiders, almost all of it has been done among Jesus' own people. In the first half of Mark's gospel, we see Jesus restoring Jewish outsiders to community. He's tearing down boundaries between his neighbors. In this story, Jesus is approached by a foreigner, an outsider, someone who's not Jewish, and he refuses to help calling her a dog. Is Jesus racist? He's refusing to help someone because they're from the wrong place. Does that make him racist? <laughs> Very nervous <laughs> answers here. Um, is this story showing us a darker side of Jesus, something that we maybe wouldn't want to see? What's that? Maybe it's some human thing. We'll, we'll circle back. It's worth noting here, though. <clears throat> it's worth noting. No one asked this question until about 100 years ago. All the racist white people who were reading this story through the Middle Ages, um, the Renaissance, right up until like the late 1800s, none of them had a problem with this story, which should probably be red flag number one for us. But then all of a sudden, in the 20th century, especially over the last 60 or 70 years, more and more people have been reading this story and asking the legitimate question, is Jesus racist? And the answer is complicated. First thing to know with this story, with this situation, race isn't really the right category to understand what's happening here. Race is a relatively modern concept. Uh, race is something that white Europeans made up to situate themselves over everyone else. Thanks a lot, ancestors. Uh, <laughs> but so race is not really the right category for this story. Um, plus, by our standards, um, a Palestinian Jew and a Syrophoenician, Syrian basically, uh, would have been seen as the same race, quote-unquote. Uh, if you had a time machine and you went back to the first century, you'd probably have a hard time telling a Jewish person like Jesus and a Syrophoenician apart. They're the same race, even though that's not the category they'd use for it. Um, what this makes me think of, personally, I grew up in a predominantly Latino neighborhood, uh, about an hour north of Philadelphia. And I remember in high school, the Puerto Rican kids and the Dominican kids did not get along. There was a lot of rivalry. There were factions. If you were Puerto Rican, you stayed out of the Dominican neighborhood and vice versa. That is sort of the vibe of what's happening here. It's sort of like how if you are French, you might have a problem with Germans, right? 
Uh, you might have some biases baked in that aren't so much about race, but they're about all the other things that we get tribal and prejudiced and biased about. Nationality, culture, history, religion, uh, historical grudges. Jesus is Jewish, right? That's like his, his people group. And this woman is Syrophoenician. She's a descendant of the ancient Assyrians. What do you know from the Old Testament about Jews and Assyrians? What was that? It's not good, right? War. They, they hate each other. These two people groups, these two neighboring groups of people hate each other. Uh, the book of Kings tells the story. The Assyrian Empire swept through Israel uh, in the 8th century B.C. and destroyed it. It was brutal. Um, the Assyrians completely wiped out the northern half of the kingdom, the region where Jesus would grow up some 800 years later. Um, and they destroyed everything in the southern part of the kingdom except Jerusalem. They, the Assyrians left Jerusalem, this kind of shelled-out husk of a city. A few generations later, Babylon swept through and, and kind of finished the job. If you're Jewish in the first century, you hate Syrophoenicians. That's exactly what's going on here. This is also a really good example of a situation where you have uh, different overlapping realms of privilege and marginalization at play as well. There's another layer of complication here. A lot of times when we think about things uh, like racism and sexism, we tend to think in terms that are very black and white, literally, um, where you're either in the group that has the power and the privilege or you're in the group that's at the margins. Um, and sometimes that's the case, but it's not always that clean. Uh, I have a good friend who's African-American. Uh, he's about my age. He's in his mid-30s. Uh, and his boss is a white woman in her 60s. And they're both wonderful people. I know both of them. They have a really good working relationship. But my friend has told me some stories about how they clash, how there can be moments of awkwardness where they need to push back on each other because someone kind of steps out of line, puts their foot in their mouth. Sometimes um, she will say something racist, maybe not even intending it. She might be operating with a bias, and my friend finds that he has to stand up for himself, push back, offer some correction. Other times, my friend can be a sexist jerk. And he finds that he puts his foot in his mouth, and she has to push back and correct him. In this situation, with Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, you've got all these different overlapping realms of power and marginalization at play. Um, he's male. She's female. In the first century, that is a huge power differential. Um, he's Jewish. She's Assyrian. Kind of goes the other way. Uh, Jesus is poor. We don't really know where this woman is at economically. Jesus is a faith healer. This woman has a sick daughter. This is a really good real-world example of how messy this stuff gets. You've got different levels of privilege and marginalization at play, different biases, prejudice, patriarchy, inequality, all coming together into this really messy stew. So while we probably can't really say Jesus was racist, he does appear to have some prejudice. He's not a fan of Syrophoenicians, at least not when he's tired and trying to get some alone time and a stranger shows up at the door wanting something from him. 
And I don't know about you, but personally, I can relate to this. I try to be a really fair guy. I try to be self-aware. I try to be aware of my biases. I try to check my privilege. I try not to judge people by where they're from, what neighborhood they were in, uh, born in, uh, what they wear, the color of their skin, but we all have biases. We all carry some prejudice, whether we're aware of it or not. And I know personally, it's usually when I'm tired or in a really bad mood or um, don't want to be bothered, that is when the ugliest stuff I carry inside me comes to the surface. As human beings, we all have biases. Every single one of us. We are affected, shaped by birth, or sorry, from birth, by realities like racism, classism, sexism, ableism. We are all a little racist. Some of us are a lot racist, but we are all at least a little racist. And I know I'm speaking to a predominantly white crowd right now, And as white people, I know that we are terrified of being seen as racist, right? That's like, oh, because we equate racist with bad person. And in our minds, we're not bad people, so we can't be racist. But if that's your point of view, that's kind of the assumption you go in with, what you end up with is a world where the only form of racism we'll acknowledge is the most blatant forms. Your KKK, your neo-Nazis, all those nitwits down in Charlottesville with the torches a few years ago. If that's the only prejudice we'll acknowledge, that lets all the rest of us off the hook. It lets us off the hook for dealing with our own biases. It lets us off the hook for thinking about systemic racism and the injustices that we all benefit from and share in to some degree. It lets us off the hook for thinking about our own power and how we treat the outsiders in our midst, in our neighborhoods. But here's the thing, and this is really important. This is pretty key. Having prejudice, that in and of itself, does not make you a bad person. It makes you human. Every single one of us as human beings is shaped from birth by prejudice, stereotypes, wrong assumptions about race and class and gender. All of us, even Jesus. Jesus was a human being who was also God. (laughs) But as a human being who was also God, he might have been without sin. He wasn't without bias. He wasn't without prejudice. Even Jesus had to grapple with some of this stuff. That's right. See, you, read, you probably read my notes, Kurt. In the end, he does the right thing. <clears throat> See, the goal, when we have something like this pointed out to us, when we become aware of some bias, some prejudice we're carrying around, our goal shouldn't be to deny it, to press it down, to pretend it's not there. Our goal should be to learn from it and to fix it, right, to do better. Jesus called this woman a dog. He dismissed her. He said, I'm here for the children of Israel. I've come for my own people. Should I take the children's food and throw it to the dogs? And this lady claps right back with yes, but even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall under the table. 
I cannot stress enough how important this is, you guys. <clears throat> this is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus loses an argument. <laughs> it's, I've not, it's, and it's to a woman, a Syrophoenician woman. Yeah. Who's there for her kid. Absolutely. So, so far in the Gospel of Mark, we have seen Jesus go toe-to-toe with pretty much everyone, right? He's thrown it down with the disciples, religious leaders, Pharisees, scribes, Satan. He squares off with angry mobs, uh, Pontius Pilate, King Herod, and he wins every time, right? Jesus is the best debater. He, he's always 10 steps ahead. He's got the comeback that shuts down the opposition, except in this story, Jesus gets put in his place by a Syrophoenician woman with a demon-possessed daughter. Don't mess with moms. <laughs> right? Like, exactly. Jesus is astonished by this woman's faith. He's taken aback. He realizes that he was wrong. Jesus misjudged her. The stereotype he's been operating with about Syrophoenicians is incorrect. Jesus acknowledges the mistake, learns from it, and then does better. The first part's uh, easy to catch. He heals the woman's daughter, right? Uh, Jesus said to her, For saying that you may go, the demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child laying on the bed, and the demon gone. I'm going to wait until the siren goes by since there's no speakers in here right now. Jesus heals her daughter, but he doesn't stop there. We already pointed out that so far in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus operating among his own people, teaching, healing, feeding his fellow Jews. Right after this story, we get another little story where Jesus is passing through the Decapolis. He's going through a Greek region, a Gentile, non-Jewish region. The people there bring him a deaf man, and he heals him. No questions asked. He's probably still stinging from his loss to the Syrophoenician woman, right? Uh, Then, in the story we're going to look at next week, Jesus feeds 4,000 people with a little bit of bread and some fish, which like deja vu, right? We just heard a story where he fed 5,000 people that way. But they were all Jews. In next week's story, he does the same thing. He repeats the miracle, but this time it's 4,000 Gentiles, 4,000 Gentiles non-Jews. This story changes everything. Jesus learns from the Syrophoenician woman. She expands his view of his ministry. I've been operating with the assumption that I came for the children of Israel, but maybe I can be a Messiah for everyone. How many of us in this room, by show of hands, are Gentiles, non-Jewish? That's just about all of us, the bulk of the hands are up. <clears throat> We're outsiders. We aren't part of this. The Bible isn't our book. If Jesus doesn't meet the Syrophoenician woman, if he doesn't get put in his place by this mama bear with a sick kid, we might not be here right now. We would be the dogs. This story is a turning point. As problematic as it is, as hard as it is for us to read, this story means that people like us belong. We have a place because of the Syrophoenician woman, and we don't even know her name. 
in a very real sense, we are all the children of this woman. We belong because in her desperation, she wouldn't take no for an answer. And in her wisdom, she stood up to Jesus. So may we learn from this story. May we all be brave enough to confront our own biases and the things that make us uncomfortable. May we learn to check our own power and privilege so that we can extend that same level of grace and inclusion to others. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for challenging stories. We thank you for the remarkable faith of the Syrophoenician woman, a faith which makes room for us all. God, we thank you for sending your Son in human form to save us, to rescue us, to heal us, but also to reveal the aspects of our own humanity that we probably don't want to see. God, we thank you for the humanity of Jesus and his humility that led him to learn from this story and do better. We pray that you'd give us the same humility. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.